0: Violation of justice and righteousness. Do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for the land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. will not much remember the days of his life because God, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. Yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place? All the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wondering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. If
1: you would pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving it to us in our language where we can understand it. Thank you for those who translated um, passages of Scripture and spent their lives doing so. Thank you that there are translations of the Bible all over the world for people in their own language. We don't take that for granted. We know that is a grace to us, and yet we often forget how privileged we are and we get busy and forget to hear what you have to say to us. So I ask you would give us an extra measure of concentration today and uh, just guidance by your Spirit to understand. In Christ's name, amen. So today uh, we are talking about contentment, and uh, that's not an easy subject to, for me, uh, perhaps because I struggle with it. and. I would battle with that, trying to understand kind of how to balance all of those things. And this passage certainly speaks to me in that way, um, because I have to to wrestle with, you know, where am I, you know, which you have to do that all the time, but I mean, you kind of constantly have to do so. And honestly, I would have to say like some days I would be in a good place and other days I'd be in a horrible place uh, with regard to um, this issue. and. Another thing just to think about is um, the struggle for me, I guess you would say, when I'm looking at texts like this and try to be honest with myself, is like, um, the pursuit of excellence is something that I think that we should strive for. I mean, I think we should do things that we do, we should do them well. And generally speaking, if you do things well, um, you'll be compensated or, or, you know, whatever for those things, you know? And so... You're balancing, even in our culture sometimes where I think that there's a lot of discussion over people thinking like, how little can I work? You know, which frightens me, a culture filled with people that want to do as little as they possibly can do, you know, that's kind of scary. And while at the same time, uh, I realize that there's like this wrestling with like, why are you not just thanking God for what he's given you? So you're, it's a battle. I mean, it's a battle for me because it's, like I said, it's a real thing that I think about and think about regularly and have read about a lot. And so hopefully we will do justice uh, to this text and be honest with ourselves and say, you know, this these are hard things. I was listening to a guy uh, in another part of the world not too long ago on a podcast, and he said the American church like, really battles with the love of money. And so... That's a legitimate thing, and it's not just the, uh, like, health and wealth people, you know? It's people like you and me that struggle with that in a very prosperous culture. So we just have to be honest and say, okay, these things are hit to the heart of some of us, maybe more than others, and other people may say, I walked out of there, felt like, I felt pure as the driven snow, you know, but that's not me. So, um, we'll just kind of move through. All right. So, um, we'll start just thinking about this book real quick. Just want you to think about it when you're when you're considering it. Life under the sun, he says, is, is filled with vanity and striving after wind. So, you just have to stop and consider that. You just have to say it feels empty and abs- absurd sometimes. And you're just dealing with that in life. The next step is we're flowing, you know, kind of moving through the book. He says... You know where people try to find uh, their, uh, I guess you could say, meaning? They try to find it in their wisdom or knowledge, their pleasure, and their work. And that's very common. And honestly, uh, probably, and I was thinking about this today, I read an article uh, in the Wall Street Journal uh, yesterday, and it was talking about the issue of how kind of like families that are uh, that eat together, like they sit down and eat meals together. It's just healthier for the whole family, and they've done all this research and everything. And so, um, what I guess what I would say to you is, when you're thinking about that, this wisdom, pleasure, and work, you're setting before your family whatever balance you think there might be. I mean, not ultimate meaning is not going to come in wisdom and pleasure and work, but you're you're setting for them some kind of pattern. And if you're running a hundred miles an hour after all those things, like, they're going to repeat that, just as a side note. Like, sometimes I stop and think, like, you might say, well, we shouldn't be doing all this and that and the other. It's like, then why don't you stop? Why don't you stop? Well, I mean, we have to, why, why don't you stop? Like, if those things are not ultimate meaning, why are you living as if they are the ultimate meaning? They're not. They are not of ultimate value, so why don't you stop? And slow down and say, I'm going to shift down a gear. We're going to reevaluate how we live our life, you know. So we just have to realize that and see that. And that's, I think, what he's kind of trying to help us see. And ultimately, he says, you know, all of our desires uh, to find ultimate meaning means that there's eternity in our hearts. And you know what? He wants you to get to that place and say, hey, there's eternity in your heart so that you can look beyond the sun and see the Lord. And so then, as you move forward in it, you have to say, while on earth, I'm going to see a lot of difficulty and oppression and all those kind of things. And so I have work to do here, and I need to do that well. And I need to do it in concert with others so that they might confront my sin, or I might see something that I needed to see, or I might get more done for the glory of God. And then the last thing is just saying, like, you know what? While I'm on this earth living this life, the, under the sun, I, I keep. I want to keep like peeking into heaven, and so I need to worship wisely. And we need to come together regularly. We need to encourage one another to love and good deeds, and and to to honor the Lord in everything we do. So that's kind of where we've been. We say, hey, this world is kind of messed up. People try to find all their meaning and significance in the wrong stuff. Ultimately, uh, all that longing is really for you to stand in awe before the Lord. Sometimes you're going to struggle. Uh, to figure all that out, and this this man is going to help you kind of live wisely. You're trying to walk away from this book and learn how to live a more wise life. I, I mean, That's the whole goal. I want to be more wise when I leave here. So one of the things he says is an enemy, which he's already says, like, you know, talked about this in some ways, but an enemy to contentment is the love of money. So if you're not... Um, rightly contented in the Lord let's say a lot of times it will express itself in you pursuing something uh, that you think will great give you greater satisfaction than the Lord that's what your whole life and again like what you're presenting before your kids or what you're presenting in life is like what what do they see you trying to find contentment in and so what do you need to lay down and instead pursue Other things, and again, it's not, I don't think it means that you won't do anything. I think it's just like they're watching your heart on display and what you give yourself to, what you worry about, and what you pursue, and all that kind of stuff. So he's going to deal with an issue that is common to man, and common to this man, and common to a very successful man. And so he says, you know, there are things that can rob you of contentment, and uh, one of the things is the love of money. So here's the first step. So I want you to think about this, because this if you look at this text real quick, it really help you. Um, if you, uh, and I just can't say what it is, what is it called, Ryan? Yeah, chiasm in the Old Testament. You'll see those. It's like, I've read about those a million times. The central part of this text is in 520. So I just want you to look at your Bible and see 520 and say to yourself, that's at the heart of this whole thing. Now, if you were making an outline of this text, the chiastic structure, if you were to do that, you would have A as 5, 8 to 12 and 6, 7 through 9. So everything we're looking at today, and it, this is how it would go, by the way, because I didn't make this clear. It will be A, B, C, D, C, B, A that's the chiastic structure so a would be five eight to twelve and six seven through nine B would be five thirteen to seventeen six three to six c would be five eighteen and nineteen and six one and two and at the heart of it is five twenty that's just really helpful for you and again I'll move I'll speed up but this is what I want you to hear you ready so on those two a's that are like the book in it's people cannot be satisfied the two that are Getting you closer to the center, people, uh, he speaks of people who cannot enjoy. As you move closer to the center, he'll say, this is what is good and this is what's bad about that. And then at the very center, he's going to say, enjoy the moment. So again, it will help you. If you go back and look at it, you'll be like, whoa, so we're going to look at it that way. We're going to start with, we're going to talk about people who cannot be satisfied. So we'll look at 5, 8 through 12, and 6, 7 through 9. You start there and you see, I thought, you know, as, as he's moving ahead here, he's saying, like, it's almost like there there are these poor, and justice is being violated and righteousness. And he says, Don't be amazed by that. And this is what he's going to say. Each one of those officials who have this place of power and prominence and probably wealth, they all have someone over them that's like reaching their hand into the cookie jar. And so it's really hard to weed through and understand. Everybody, the whole system, if you will, is filled with kind of a a mixed bag of people. So some of you might have spent your time, let's say you're studying government or big business or whatever, and you're like, well, I know that company's horrible. And they're like, yeah, yeah. They've got some horrible things. Well, then you go back in and you say, well, what about the ones that are uh, putting the goods in there? And you're like, oh, that's bad. Well, what about the ones who are over there sowing it? Oh, that's bad. And ultimately, you're like, the system's bad. Like, there's people that are bad. It's the same thing with the government. You're like, if you want to blame it on this person, then you say, well, and everybody else is pure. And you're like, no. So you start moving through, and then you're saying, like, the whole thing's corrupted. It's kind of that way. Sometimes you'll find, like, for instance, uh, in our culture, people will blame a CEO of a company, and you don't realize, like, the shareholders are after him, the board's after him, the customers are after him, the vendors are after him, the employees are after him, the media's after him, and the government's after him. And you're like, This whole thing's so crazy, and there's so many ways in which you see corruption. It's like a pyramid structure or the mafia of sorts in this kind of thing. He says, it is something, you see this and you're like disturbed by it. And you should be, it's just hard to figure out. Verse 9. Now, verse 9, you could interpret it. Wouldn't it be nice to have a great king? That's one way you could interpret verse 9. One that would be uh, committed to uh, creating a good environment for things to grow and flourish. That's one way. Another way to say is maybe is to say, you know, we could have no laws and no government. But that would not be as good as having a government, even if it's corrupted. So that's kind of the way I would see that. I would probably lean more towards that. It's better to have people in authority and things orderly than to not have it. So again, he's speaking of the love of money, and he's saying there are people being oppressed because there's people in power and making money and having wealth, and people are being oppressed because of that. Just like when the Lord spoke to uh, Israel and said, y'all want a king? The king will take everything from you, kind of is what he would say. But anyway, verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. So it almost might be as you're kind of flowing through this, you're saying, you know what? As I'm looking at this whole situation, uh, people are never satisfied, and so everybody's kind of moving up in this place and everybody's taken from others and no one's really satisfied and this is a struggle that you see in the world I met a man one time who said I was so sick of making money I just got to where I just got sick of it then COVID hit and I I had visited with him and he's like he was worried to death that he wouldn't have enough you know and it was just like one of these kind of Battles. And so we know that money worship is something that is something we have to work through and struggle through and really consider. Again, it's not money, it's the love of money that's at the heart of this. And that's kind of where you're balancing. And, I, and here, it's, I think it's important to say this. Some people, and you'll see this in marriage a lot, some people are savers and some people are spenders. Which one has a love of money? Oh, you got an answer? Both can. Or they cannot. I mean, there's you you know, but it's it the reality is is sometimes somebody's like, I don't love money, I spend every dollar I have. So you're like, well, that's interesting. You sure have a lot of toys and they cost money. I mean, everything you're doing costs money. So you must like it pretty much, you know. Maybe it's not like like greenbacks or whatever, you know? Like, you don't want to keep them. You just want everything that they get for you. So you could have somebody stuffing their mattresses, you know? Somebody like maybe that grew up around the Depression or in that time period. Or you could have somebody, again, that spends every dime they have, and both could be in bad shape. I had a friend who had uh, a good friend that was a founder of a multi-billion dollar corporation. It was a, a pastor friend of mine that they happened to, he happened to be friends a long time when the guy's company was really small and then it grew and grew and grew. And uh, he said, uh, man, he just couldn't ever, he, every day he carried around his pocket before the internet and all that stuff, a little app where you can find out how much you're worth. He would carry around his little po- pocket a notebook where he could write down every day how much he was worth the next day, you know. So he loves a balance sheet kind of thing. You know, you pull out the balance sheet and worth this much money today, you know. And so um, it's one of those things where this guy, I don't think oppressed the poor, but he just kind of had a money problem. Money is that way. It can do that. And so, again, we're trying to say you're trying to find meaning in life. A lot of people try to find meaning in the things that they have or possess. Or the wealth they've obtained. Or the wealth they want to obtain. You could be the poorest person in this room and still have a problem with money. You know? So I think that's just important kind of to understand and to think about when you're looking at this. So we um, want to see some a, one pro- a couple of problems, and we'll kind of keep moving, hopefully. Uh, a couple of problems here. One is... When you have uh, like this love of money and you, let's say, you grow your wealth, you have more people to feed. That's one problem. And what does that mean? Uh, I remember going uh, to Paris and and I was at the Louvre and you go in and you're looking at um, Napoleon's kind of dining table like that. I got to do that one time. You go there and there's like, I remember immediately because my mind runs to numbers, you know. It's like 50 people could sit at that table. He didn't start out with 50 people eating at the table. He started out with feeding himself, you know? But then it grows because there's more stuff to do. And the more stuff to do, the more people you need. And the more people you need, uh, the more mouths you have to feed. And really, you're all eating from the same trough. The only thing you really can do as an owner is say, I own the trough. But you're like, yeah, but everybody's eating out the trough. You know, and you might say something like, uh, you just have to to think about that." So John D. Rockefeller, uh, I read a book one time that's a massive volume about him, but he um, he uh, one of the things that happened was he was like he, he was really sound of sound mind making the money. It was like post making the money that gave him a mental breakdown. You know why? Because he had a staff of like, I don't know six, eight or ten people that just took all the envelopes that came in of people that needed stuff. And it got to where he just couldn't handle, like, it was so overwhelming. He did. He had a break. Now, he retired at, like, 40 or something. But, but it was like, what to deal with all those things. And so, again, that's kind of what he's saying. That's one issue. Another thing with someone who really loves money and building wealth or whatever, it, one, he's always thinking, again, he doesn't realize everybody's going to eat from the same trough. So he thinks maybe people are stealing from him. You know what I mean? So he's just all the time worried about somebody stealing. Another problem is that they're, that you're never satisfied. And what he's saying is, it, it's like he's in, in 6, 7 through 9. Now you move there. He's saying you're just never satisfied. Again, another John D. Rockefeller thing was once in an interview, um, they asked him how much money is enough. And you know what he said? A little more than I have. Just a little bit more. And so some of you may have set goals for your life. Where you would be financially, you get there, and you always seem to find a way for the goal to get bigger. You know? Because there's so many things that could go wrong, so many things you need to do. So that's uh, that's one thing, and you're looking at that. So we're saying some people can't be satisfied. Another is some people cannot enjoy it. Because once you get in the habit of doing that, you just can't enjoy it. So 5.13 through 17... And 6, three to, to 6, that's that's where we're at now. We're going to look at both of those sections. This is a grievous evil. The, the one thing he says is there's a guy that has so uh, pursued, I guess, building his wealth um, to his own hurt, like in a sense of like he's given everything to building his wealth. And then because he wants to grow his wealth, he always bets the farm so he bet the farm that last time and he lost everything so he couldn't enjoy like that god had given him good things and that had blessed him you know immeasurably let's say and so he bet the farm one more time and guess what he lost that's kind of the picture And then he had nothing to give his son. Now, here's the thing. In our culture, it's not as big a deal that I give my three sons anything. Because I expect to help them, like, encourage them, get your education, go to school. You can go work out in the world and make a living. I don't have to do anything for you. For you to make and and have a really good life. In this culture, you lose, uh, which would primarily be tied to land, you lose the land, then um, you're going to lose everything. Basically, your child will become an indentured servant. So this person dies in frustration and darkness and illness and anger. 6-3-6, to six, another example of people who can't uh, enjoy it. Or if it, you know, and not this man particularly, but it's like someone has 100 kids, which I'm like, that would be hard to enjoy, a hundred. But in this, uh, be like, how do I take them all to practice? you like, like, uh, you take them all to work, you know? Like, you buy a farm and put them to work. But the deal is, is the benefit of that is having a hundred kids. You got a hundred workers. That's one way you can think about that. And the ability to be able to, like, provide them all with, like, good work to do is kind of a cool thing. And so both of these things would be like, it's of the highest honor. Having a large family required large flocks, but they got to take care of them. And so all that was good. So I think it's uh, this person, um, even if he were given all that he was given, or even if he was given a thousand years twice, he just can't enjoy what he's been given. And so he's always grumbling about his life even though he would be blessed immeasurably. So there are people that cannot be satisfied, people that cannot enjoy things. And so then he kind of comes to this summary place of like, here's what's good and bad. So look at this, five eighteen and 19 and 6, 1 and 2. He says, Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil. This is the good, which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot, enjoy and rejoice uh, in his toil. This is a gift of God. So what is he saying? He's saying like um, you could have all the stuff and not have any joy. You could be robbed of that because you loved money more than loving God and loving the gifts that he's given loving God and enjoying Him for what He has done in your life. But this person who gains wealth, whatever means like God gives him wealth or whatever, he could like actually enjoy those things. He could rejoice in God for what he had done. He could sit down at a meal and eat something wonderful or go out and do something and see a sunset and see the land he had been given or the food he had been given or the family he'd been given and just all the things that god had done and just be thankful just like gratitude fills this person's heart like that's really a good thing that's what he's saying that's a good thing here's the bad there is an evil that i've seen on the sun and it lies heavy on mankind a man to whom god has given all these things he doesn't lack anything he could desire But he's not giving him the power to enjoy it. And so a stranger has to enjoy it for him. He just can't enjoy it. He just worries himself to death over it. He works himself to death. It's just like he cannot enjoy. And this is a vanity and evil. And so he says, here's the good, here's the bad. So the good is that you would be set free from the love of money. And that you would be able to rejoice in God and his good gifts, which may include money or the things that came from money, whatever. And you can rejoice in those good gifts. The bad thing is, is if you had all the money and you could never find joy in those things. So, what does he conclude with? This is at the heart of it. Enjoy the moment. This is the dream of what the kind of person that you could be and strive towards. For he will not much remember, verse twenty five twenty. for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Now what does that mean? He doesn't have to look back and say, well, those were the good old days. He is so overwhelmed with the joy of the Lord and his bountiful blessings towards him. Gratitude so overwhelmed is so filling his heart that he's not looking back to the past. He is looking at the present with joy in his heart, with thanksgiving in his heart. And maybe you've met people like that. There, there was one a uh, uh, older friend that I had, and he wasn't like a wealthy, wealthy man, but he was just, I felt like he was always looking to the future and saying, there was a lot of gratitude and a lot of hope and a lot of joy coming out of his mouth. Even at like 90-something years old, he couldn't do anything. But he looked forward to the future with a lot of hope and happiness. And he wasn't a foolish man. He was a very educated man. He was educated about all current affairs. But But there was a joy that, like, resonated in his heart a certain level of contentment now one author wrote it like this i think it was Gridonis. he wrote instead of pursuing wealth enjoy god's daily gifts now you would add that might include wealth just enjoy those things that does not mean you're idle it doesn't mean you're not working it doesn't mean you're not industrious and figuring out ways to do that it doesn't mean any of that but just for the sake of like having wealth is you're really wanting to rejoice in the Lord and all of his gifts now I want you as we conclude today to think from a Christian perspective the scripture is going to deal with a lot of things but I I do want you to think in terms of like the greater kingdom like beyond like maybe what you could build or create or whatever I, I do think we have to constantly remind ourselves that we have a greater understanding of what it means to know God and enjoy Him and enjoy His kingdom and those kind of things. So Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So there is this element to where he's saying, again, you could be really wealthy and not love money, or you could be really wealthy and love money, or you could be really poor and... um, not love money and be really poor and really love money. So just, you got to say that. And you have to say at, this, at the heart of this thing, he's saying like, serve God first. Put him first. Do not build your life in this present world and try to find your ultimate meaning here. It will ultimately lead to not only frustration, but in an ultimate sense, if that's what you love more than anything, it is your God so it will lead to damnation. Matthew 6:32 and 33 For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly Father knows what you that you need them all but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Um Philippians 4:12 and 13 I know how to be brought low I know how to be, to abound in any and every circumstance the apostle Paul says I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians four. 4 rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So find your joy and contentment in him. And then uh, whatever he adds unto you, like like use that to the glory of God, re- rejoice in his blessings. And I would say even like serve others with those things. Some of you, like today, would say, I don't really love money. Go to work every day, same job, did it for 30 years. I don't spend more than I need, blah, blah, blah. And be like, yeah, but when's the last time you gave? Oh, well, I mean, there's never enough for that. It sounds like your treasure is not the Lord. So it's finding your contentment and joy in Him abandoning that love for money. And I think really one of the ways that you really get to that place is you, one, you focus in on what the internal inheritance that you've been given in Christ. And then what you do with these earthly blessings is uh, you start giving. And when you give, it begins to break the corrupting nature in your heart to want to trust in it. Every time you cut a check, Every time you give to something, what that does is, I think it, it is a spiritual practice that helps break that natural tendency to find your hope and security in money. So, those are the things. Run to Jesus. Treasure the imperishable and undefiled and unfading inheritance He has been given. Yours given to you. With the earthly things, be rich in good deeds, and it'll it'll be good, I think. Yeah. So. We'll pray for one another in that regard. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for um, wisdom to see what will really satisfy our hearts. I pray that the people in this church would be people that are hardworking, industrious people that would seek to do good, that would seek to bless, that would want to honor you and honor others and bless other people. I pray that they would be... um, that they would live out what it means to be an image bearer and use every one of their gifts to your honor and glory. And I pray, Lord, that their hearts like my heart would never be caught up in loving what we should not love. We would just see those merely as gifts, give you thanks, and move on. To bless others, to enjoy our families, to enjoy our church, all those things to your glory. In Christ's name, amen.